Hey everybody, welcome back to Up The Vibe and today I'm joined by Preston Dennett, who is a UFO investigator and the author of 28 books and over 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. Hi Preston, how are you doing? I'm doing good, doing very well. How are you? I'm, I'm very good. Thank you for coming on and, and spending your time here on Up The Vibe. My pleasure. Yeah, it's an honor. I wonder if you could start by introducing yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Preston. <laughs> uh, I am the fifth of six children. I live here in Southern California. Came into this field of ufology as a complete skeptic. Uh, did not believe in UFOs until 1986. Actually, I remember the exact day. It was November 17, 1986. Uh -huh. 17 yet yeah. <laughs> yeah and i heard this report on the news about a sighting right. over alaska mm -hmm. and the news report was very short i mean they <laughs> literally just kind of joked about it this pilot who said he thought he saw a ufo uh, later i found out it's a really very well verified sighting but at the time yeah they just kind of was very tongue-in-cheek very almost ridiculing <laughs> this guy yeah Things haven't changed. Uh, <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was intriguing because I thought to myself, this poor guy, you know, this pilot, he's clearly deluded. He's hallucinating. He's seeing a reflection off the ice cap. I mean, all these thoughts are going through my mind. Okay. Yeah. This can't be a UFO because UFOs aren't real. But I thought, you know, this pilot has thrown his career away, <laughs> yeah. which turned out to be true, by the way. Uh, and I thought, why would he do that? You know, how, how could he be that stupid? He's a pilot. Yeah. He should know better. And it just, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I remembered my old, older brother, Mark, had said he'd seen a UFO. And that was like hmm, seven years earlier. And I remember that day vividly too. He came running yeah. to the house. He says, oh, I saw a UFO. And yeah. we all looked at him like, well, I looked at him like he was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, no, for real. It was, you know, at, at treetop level, right above the telephone poles. And that's all I really remembered him saying. But after hearing this report in the news, I, I approached him. I'm like, Mark, did you hear about this crazy pilot? He thinks he saw a UFO like you did. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I did see one. I'm like, mm, all right, what did you see? And yeah. I was really impressed by what he said. He was with his two friends, Phil and Greg, who I knew, and uh, they had parked their car on this little hillside overlooking the San Fernando Valley, here where I live now, in Southern California. And this disc appeared, and it was maybe 50, 100 feet in front of their car at, at eye level. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Preston, it was metallic. It had lights all around it, it had a dome on top was totally silent. Mm -hmm. It was almost like it was looking at us. And it started to move slowly away and they chased it. And they ended up chasing it for about 15 to 20 minutes, passing other cars who were chasing it. And it was playing cat so and mouse with were them. They, they, were they on foot or were they in a car? They were they, in, the, in, in their the car. car. Yeah. Yeah. But, the, but this thing would stop and wait for them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and as soon as they get close, it would dart away. Right. It would stop yeah. and wait. Yeah. Which is, you know, something they do. Yeah. <laughs> So that was like, I'm like, huh, really? It's like, yeah, yeah. Talk to Phil, talk to Greg, which I ended up doing. And uh, that started the ball rolling. I found out that my sister-in-law had seen UFOs. She had witnesses with her as well. 
of some good family friends and seen UFOs. And uh, they all had witnesses. I, stupidly, I brought it up at work. Mm-hmm. And, but by this time, I had, you know, starting to check out books on the subject. And the lady I'd worked with for years is like, oh, yeah, me and my whole family watched the starlight object. It was darting around. It would stop, hover, shoot yeah. across the sky. And in walks Dorothy, who I really admire because she's got no filters. <laughs> I mean, she will just bl- very outgoing uh, and uh, will just say anything. I'm just brutally honest. And says, oh, UFOs, one followed us home from the library when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like, Dorothy, you're kidding. She's like, no, no, me, my mom, my best friend, Carol, library lets out at nine o'clock. It came right over the car, followed us home. She says, Preston, it's so weird. We live five minutes from the library. I know we left at nine because the library had just closed. And when we got home, this thing darts away and we look at the clock and it's 10, 15. She says, I don't know where the right. time went. Yeah. Okay. Weird. Yeah. I'm like, Dorothy, do you know what that means? Because I had just you know, found Bud Hopkins' book, Missing Time. Okay. Which, of course, points to yep. uh, onboard experience that the person doesn't remember. I ended up interviewing her mom <laughs> and her best friend. So yep. you know, I joined MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, became a field investigator about a you know, year into this. Uh, heard a report from J. Allen Hynek, who, as you may know, <laughs> yeah was part of project blue book that's right yeah and uh he said that one in 40 people have had an onboard ufo encounter mm-hmm. i thought well that can't possibly be true that's i mean that would be millions of people that would mean i probably know someone who's been taken on board which turned out to be true i mean dorothy of course had missing time found out i had another friend who had missing time my sister-in-law later revealed not at first uh, but later revealed that she had an encounter with grays gray aliens right mm-hmm. so yeah this hit home literally and uh, just turned my world upside down i was hooked yeah and you're one of six you said how come you sort of ventured so heavily into this topic whereas others uh, maybe they did but i imagine did they all sort of just not got and get into get involved in it as much as you uh, yeah, you're right. None of them did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I started really getting into it, uh, some family members were not happy about it. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's sort of split up the family. My dad was like, what is wrong with you? You know, yeah. stop talking about UFOs. You know, my two older brothers, I have three older brothers. Mark, mm-hmm. of course, saw one. He was fine. And my sisters sort of already believed in them. But mm-hmm. yeah, they thought I had gone off the deep end lost my marbles because i was buying book after book after book i could yeah. i don't know why i could not let this go mm-hmm. i could not let it go and i still can't i'm not entirely sure why uh but i mean it is in my family my nephews have both seen ufos one saw humanoids uh i have my other sister-in-law had encounters as a child with blue-skinned beings so you know, this phenomena does track families. So I feel like that's part of what's going on here. Yeah. I, yeah. No one else in my family got obsessed like I did. Um, they all believe now. I can yeah. tell you that. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I was not going to let this go. <laughs> I mean, but when you go into subject, this was the mid 80s, did you say? And that, I guess the stigma was, you know, 
quite large then. I mean, you, you could lose careers over, obviously, you said about the pilot, over coming out and talking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was quite a bit more skepticism, quite a bit more ridicule. So I imagine it was quite brave of you, really, to kind of go into the topic, you know, as much as you did at the time, or did you not really see it in that way at all? Um, well, I don't know <laughs> if I would call it brave <laughs> as much as almost <laughs> foolish in a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was not afraid of... Uh, talking about this i mean i brought i wasn't like going at work you know saying you know trying to be pre, being a ufo preacher or anything yeah because uh, i don't i don't want to offend people and but it became pretty you know we had a lot of turnover at my office <laughs> and uh whenever they'd introduce me like oh here's preston he studies ufos have you seen one he wants to hear about okay. it All right. <laughs> and so i mean yeah i was very vocal about it from the beginning and felt no shame because it's real it mm -hmm. became very clear to me within well not immediately because it was a hard pill to swallow mm -hmm. it's not just ufos we're talking about we're talking about you know aliens and yeah te telepathy and, and you know people being levitated by on beams of light and moving through walls and just all kinds of paranormal stuff is surrounding yeah. us so imagine when you first got into it and when people asking questions, was it generally focused around the sort of Roswell incident or was there just lots of lots of things that you were kind of into? I imagine Roswell was a big part of the talks because given its, you know, <laughs> its history. Yeah, yeah. I love Roswell. I still think it's the biggest <laughs> UFO event in the world, <laughs> certainly the most famous. Yeah, it's the case that keeps on giving. Uh, I was surprised a lot of people did not know about it. You know, th th this was a time when UFOs were not receiving the publicity they are now. Uh, Whitley Strieber, his book was you know about to come out, and I think it was '88, and Bud Hopkins' second book, Intruders. Mm -hmm. So I kind of caught this wave of publicity. I yeah. came into this field sort of right at the right time, when it really started to get a lot more attention. So I was collecting. I mean, if you saw thought you saw a flash of light, mm -hmm. <laughs> I wanted to interview you. Yeah. Um, so I was covering all bases. I was interested in every single aspect of this phenomenon. Did you also um, pick up like uh, books like Eric von Dunnigan's book, Chariots of Gods, and various books on sort of Lemuria and you know, and all the all the kind of ancient civilizations, supposedly, from yeah back yep. when yeah. anything or anything and everything even remotely connected to UFOs, I was... Yeah, and was, you started to see um, the connections between all these different things. Yeah, you know, when I joined MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, yeah. they, they publish a monthly uh, journal, the MUFON UFO Journal. And I thought, okay, this is cool. I want all your back issues. <laughs> and I, bu I bought them all the way to, you know, when it started. Uh, so, and I subscribed to the UFO News Clipping oh. Service. When did it start? uh 50s 50s okay I, I well, yeah. well maybe the 60s it was quite some time back there yeah. was apro as well the aerial phenomena research organization which had yeah. their apro bulletin so i said i got those two i joined every ufo organization citizens <laughs> against ufo secrecy center yeah. for ufo studies uh you if there was an organization you know studying this i joined i started attending conferences uh, started writing articles there's no facebook or youtube or anything so how did you find out about these organizations did you just sort of go to one and they'll tell you about the next one or 
Yeah, it was really not easy. Not like it is today. Yeah. Um, they were sort of advertised in some of these UFO journals. So it was really much a matter of going to the library and visiting conventions and networking with people. Uh, not like it is today where you can just type in the word UFO and you're like, oh my gosh, there's, <laughs> yeah. you know, a hundred organizations here. And, uh, so yeah, it was a, a long upward climb for years trying yeah. to figure out what's going on. I mean, I literally was in this field for 10 years before I wrote my first book, studying yeah. and studying and studying with my sister-in-law. I was like, you know, you, you might consider writing a book because <laughs> I was right in the middle of this huge investigation into this wave of sightings over Topanga Canyon. This was 1992 to 94. Mm -hmm. And there was cars being chased on, down the road. They were calling the police, objects landing, people being taken on board, the full spectrum of encounters. My sister-in-law, Christy's like, you know, this might make a good book. You might consider writing a book. I'm like, huh. Maybe you're right. So I ended up putting that book together. And you know, I had to send it off to 40 different publishers, 40 okay. or 50. <laughs> yeah. Most of them kind of just laughed at me. And you know, finally I found a publisher, Llewellyn, who was very excited and published it. And it did really well. Actually, it okay. became one of my my most successful books. It wasn't actually my first book published, because uh, I had a hard time selling it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I kind of started writing books around nineteen in the mid nineteen nineties. Yeah, and do you have like a, an ethic around writing books? Do you um, do you kind of like do bits and pieces here as here and there, or do you kind of like just right? I need to focus on this and just sort of shut off from the world while you just kind of focus on it. Uh, it's mostly research. So writing a book is like you know five years of research and you know, one year of writing. Yeah. And uh, I, I will sort of work on a project and get it as polished as I can and then put it aside because of research never ends. Yeah. And I learned this sort of the hard way when I, I would find new cases. I'm like, oh no, you know, I didn't realize. So yeah, now I've learned to sort of just put it aside and really dig deeper and try and get all aspects of a particular case. Because uh, when you can get corroboration or, you know, of an event, uh, it is thrilling because mm -hmm. you're like, wow, you know, here's one person who saw this and a mile away, here's another person. And here's a report in the, you know, the UFO database confirming this. And yeah. So, yeah just so how do you go about doing the investigation work? Where, where's most of the effort in? Is it in the talking to people or is it more in sort of? more background admin and things that are um, maybe a bit more cumbersome, but people don't know about. <laughs> yeah, I think it sort of depends on the case you're working on. Uh, sort of, well, I'll, I'll use the example of this uh, wave of sightings over Topanga Canyon in 1992, uh, which you know I'd written an article for the local newspaper, The Messenger, and he calls me up and says, you know, I just received a bunch of calls from people reporting UFOs. And they also called the police and I've got the police tape. It's been snuck out. Would you like to listen to it? Would you like to investigate this? And I'm like, yeah, I would love that because this is my hometown and I know a lot of people there. 
And so this turned out to be an incredibly detailed and cumbersome and long-standing investigation in which I uh, contacted the police, gave them my number, and they were referring me calls. I put up flyers on the local bulletin boards. Uh, I went door to door, uh, knocking on, literally, uh, when people would call me up, I'd say, can I, you know, they said, I saw a UFO last night. I said, can I come over and sleep in your backyard? Because uh, these would come over, you know, these objects would come over a period of days. And I did end up having a few sightings of mostly unexplained lights, which were somewhat ambiguous. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it turned out to, you know, there's an, all different aspects of the investigation. There's, you know, you, you do your armchair investigating, which you mm -hmm. search through databases and you go to the libraries and news clippings and do what you can, you know, through records. And then, of course, you're interviewing a witness, which I always do first sort of an informal interview without recording it, just taking notes and seeing if this is something worthy of following up on. And then I will like, can I do a formal interview with you, you know, next week or a few days from now? And then I will call them up and, of course, record the interview and go over the notes and see if their story changes at all. And I love it when I have a case involving multiple witnesses. Because, yeah. or, you know, perhaps a military witness, a trained observer. Uh, and you always want to get references and anything that you can help verify their account to at least some degree. Uh, yeah. So there's many, many different aspects to investigating this. So you look, look up the weather, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the astronomy, uh, you know, all different aspects. Yes, it's quite it's quite detailed. I imagine to piece together what what the conditions were like and what, what where people may be positioned, whether their viewing angle maybe sort of doesn't make sense from two different people. Do you ever be able to sort of triangulate? Yeah. Well, there was one case where people were seeing like we're seeing UFOs every night. I'm like, mm, every night, really? Like mm -hmm. almost nightly. So I ended up going to their house because uh, I knew this area, and uh, this. I don't believe we saw anything, but they pointed out where these objects were coming from. So I went there over a period of nights and I saw these lights. I'm like, huh, these do look odd. There was these bright lights kind of hovering in place and then it would move off to the side and wink out. But it just didn't feel right. And I was looking at them. So I went up to the top of the mountain there and I looked at them and I could clearly see that they were in fact jets coming in because okay. when a plane comes straight at you all you see is a huge globe of light yeah you don't see the little red mm -hmm. you know uh green lights on the wingtips yeah it's just this very very bright light and then it turns and it w appears to okay. wink out yeah and so i and i watched these planes going towards lax airport <laughs> and, yeah. I went, and so and i watched did it over a period of days i'm like yep this is clearly what they're seeing yeah went back to their house and I'm like, well, guys, got news for you. <laughs> they okay. were not happy. And I think they were a little offended. Right. Uh, and this does come up. Hard, yeah. Yeah, it's a little unpleasant, honestly, when you're like, have to tell a person what you're seeing is probably planes. Mm -hmm. And we've got to imagine that a lot of the experiences are out there that can be quite prosaic in, the, in what, what, what's actually happening. Um, yep, but that doesn't yep. count. I don't know what, how, how many that is, but you know, a, a good, you know, investigation like itself would be able to identify that, I guess. 
Yeah, it's not as often as you might think. People are really reluctant to say this is a UFO unless they feel it's really strange. Mm. Occasionally, it'll be Venus or, you know, balloons, perhaps, mm -hmm. uh, or sky lanterns. Has, or, it, ever, has or, it ever been swamp gas? <laughs> no, <laughs> I have never encountered a case of swamp. I'm not really in an area, <laughs> um, but, you know, of course, I have, you know, interviewed people from all over the world. And uh, I have never had a case where I'm like, well, this is swamp gas, <laughs> which is very fleeting, by the way. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, you know, swamp gas flares up and then burns out. It's, I would say almost <laughs> no UFOs are actually swamp gas. Pe people who live in an area of swamp gas are quite familiar with it. Yeah. How do people find out about you if they want to tell you about their experiences or is it, is it generally the other way around or do people kind of contact you first? Well, initially I was contacting people when I found out this was real. I'm like, okay, you know, in jail and Hynix says one in 40 people. I'm like, mm, I'm asking everybody I know, <laughs> yeah. uh, which, which I did. And uh, that sort of spread to, you know, friends of friends and friends okay. of coworkers and, you know, friends of family. And was it uh, just literally, do you want to drink at the bar? And then halfway through their first pint, you kind of say, uh, so have you seen the UFO? Was it a bit like that? Was it more kind of a bit more organized in a way? Um, I, I just came right out. No, I didn't, I didn't butter anyone up. <laughs> um, as soon as, you know, I was able to, I asked them flat out. Yeah. And I learned, of course, to sort of couch it more openly and not like, have you seen a UFO? Because people will automatically say no. Yeah. Um, but and I, if I say something like, "Well, have you ever had an unexplained experience?" Uh, that sort of opened the doors a little bit because people didn't have to say, "Oh, it's a UFO," you know. Uh, but it wasn't long after, you know, it was two, three years into this where I had a network of people, so I started to get, you know, live action reports. Okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> instead of something that had say occurred years earlier which is often the case because people are very reluctant to report a sighting, very reluctant to talk about it. And will sometimes even forget it. There's an amnesia yeah. aspect to this. Yeah. I was going to ask about that actually, because it seems that, uh, yeah, that's a big part. And I don't know whether that's sort of a self amnesia or if it's something the ETs maybe are involved in. I think it's probably a little both, um, but I'm, Flaming more the ETs than people, okay. yeah. honestly, because uh, I've got case after case where, you know, particularly with someone who's, say, having a face-to-face -face encounter or a bedroom visitation with an ET or being taken on board, where the ETs will say, you won't remember this, or you'll remember this when it's time. Okay, yeah. Uh, and, uh, there are, yeah, missing time is a very consistent feature. And uh, initially, I didn't even recognize some of this because I was interviewing people, uh, and I thought it was a simple sighting. Uh, but then there was these little clues that I started to recognize, like if they were looking at the object, and then suddenly there's a shift of some kind. They're disoriented in any way. They've got any confusion about time whatsoever. Uh, if they have a very strong emotional reaction, if they feel like it's watching them, if they, uh, if this object is close, uh, that turned out to be a huge red flag. It's one thing to see a distant light up in the sky, you know, several thousand feet up, but if it's within a hundred, 200 feet of you, 500, 
the chances go way, way up that okay. we're dealing with something more than just a simple sighting. Okay. So how do you um, decide on what exp experiences are real and which ones may not be? I know you, you mentioned one earlier that was the airplane, but are there other tells that you have? Any ideas when you hear something? Uh, yeah, yeah. And this is true for sightings all the way to onboard experiences and face-to-face -face encounters and you know landings. There are details that turn up again and again. And when, like with a simple sighting, you know, someone sees something in the sky, there's generally what have been called observables. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, does it look strange? Does it have a strange appearance? And if someone says, well, it had, you know, red and green lights, that's super suspect. Yeah. Because, you know, that's a standard at navigation lights. Uh, but if it has an unusual appearance, uh, an unusual movement, an unusual sound, uh, these are the sort of things you look for. Uh, and when someone's taken on board, well, you're, anyone can you know, make up a story, sure. But the insides of UFOs are very consistently described as being you know, with certain details, some of which are now well known. Many actually of these details now, but back in the day, you know, when I started, they weren't nearly as well known. But people will usually describe rounded walls. Uh, they'll describe the interior of these objects as very clean. Uh, uh, one detail that turns up again and again is what I would call indirect lighting. And it's funny to hear people try and describe this. Yeah. Uh, because they're saying, well, it was all lit up. There was no lantern, you know, no lights, yeah. no light switches, no light fixtures. I don't know how to describe this. And it's funny because. Uh, telepathy is pretty much, uh, I don't want to say 100%, but just about the way these ETs communicate. And quite a few people aren't familiar with telepathy. And they're hearing them try to describe it is almost amusing sometimes because they're saying, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but they were talking in my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what the ETs will say is also very consistent. And Dollars to donuts, the first word out of an ET's, well, I was going to say mouth, but their mind really, <laughs> is uh, have no fear. Don't be afraid. We're not yeah. here to harm you. You will not be harmed. We won't hurt you. Come with us. This sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I, if I had a nickel for every time someone told me that, I have you know, a couple hundred dollars at least. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there are apps. Yeah, absolute details. Like people think, oh, when you're taken on board, you're laid out on a table. Uh, yeah. yeah, that does happen. But this table itself is described in ways that not a lot of people might know about. And to be okay. honest, it, it's not all, it's often it's not, it's not a table. It's a chair. It's a dentist chair, like device. Uh, yeah. So these are sort of, I mean, and there's, smaller details i mean right down to the colors and the texture of the air and you know the clothing that these figures wear what the figures look like uh, there's a long long list of details that are very consistent and the instruments used is there any consistency there absolutely absolutely yeah um so these are things you can sort of use as a 
a way to determine the credibility of an account. Of course, we have a multiple witness case that is always great, or a trained observer, or another thing uh, people will say when they start to talk to me, they're very reluctant to come forward and say they've been taken on board. This is not something they want people to know about. Sure, yeah. And, and almost always, if someone is what I would call a contactee, an abductee, an experiencer, they will start out with some phrase like, I don't have a history of mental illness. You know, I've got a good job. I don't take yeah. drugs. Yeah. Uh, I haven't told this to anybody. And they're very hesitant to talk about this and will even become really emotional and hold back details, the stranger details, because they don't want to sound like an idiot or be disbelieved or have someone laugh at them. Yeah. Uh, does then does anyone kind of describe it and then do you ever ask is it a lucid dream or something like that and they sort of question that or do they say no 100 it was real it was happening yeah well some people would w wish they were crazy or wish it was a dream yeah but it's pretty clear right off the bat because i study dreams i've got every book on dreams you could find out there you know i've got every book on ghosts I've got a book on out-of-body experiences multiple personalities bigfoot i mean i studied it any possible thing this could possibly be demonology yeah. uh, I, um, people would bring this these sort of things up and of course sleep paralysis is a, a big go-to for a lot of skeptics and debunkers who say oh people are just having sleep paralysis mm -hmm. absolutely not 100 no uh, for a number of reasons and people as a general rule who will have an onboard experience do have some physiological effects they will come back from their experience profoundly thirsty with a scoop mark. Uh, will eventually go to the doctor at some point for whatever reason. And the doctors will say, huh, what's this in your sinus? <laughs> you have a metal object in your foot. Have you ever broken your foot? Yeah. Um, these are what we call implants. And that is not as rare as you might think. Uh, yeah. And I think, I, think I read in one of your books about a guy who had an, uh, something he found in his nose. But the crazy thing is that when he managed to get it out, he threw away in, in the trash. I just think, come on, keep it. Yes, yeah. I can't tell you how many times that happens. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder about that because uh, people will look at it, they'll hold it in their hand and like, wow, it's, it's a little metallic cylinder. What is this? Yeah. And have this... Now, some will put it in an envelope and set it aside and go back and the, the envelope's empty. Okay. Yeah. Others will flick it into the trash and, and uh, realize, oh, you know, what did, have I done? And, uh, but it's too late. Well, one lady, I, she had it come out of her nose and she flicked it under the carpet and instantly realized, like, that was really strange and got down on her hands and knees and couldn't find the darn thing, which was, you know, the size of a half grain of rice. Right, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's frustrating. Uh, one case was really interesting. And uh, this involved a lady who contacted me from Indiana who had taken her teenage son to the dentist. Okay, yeah. And uh, she sent me these x-rays because uh, she had taken her son to the dentist and you know, gets x-rays every couple of years or so. And I think he was 17. And... Uh, She's in the waiting room and 
her son is in the chair. She can see through the window and all the dentists start running up to him. And they're looking at these x-rays and they're sort of freaking out. And she's gesturing to her son, like, what's going on? He shrugs, he says, I don't know, I don't know. Finally, they call her in and show her this x-ray and says, what is this? Did your son shoot himself in the mouth with a BB gun? And she looks at the x-ray and right under his molar is a, you know, his back molar is a marble shaped object, a perfectly round metallic object. It's opaque on x-rays. Uh, the dentist concluded this was metallic, whatever it was, and absolutely artificial. It's perfectly round. Mm -hmm. and she says no he's never shot himself in the mouth with a bb gun and the son of course denied it flat out that did not happen and the dentist had to believe him because there's no entry wound it's asymptomatic you know there's no foreign body reaction to whatever this is the tooth is fine and she kind of jokes like maybe it's an alien implant she was just joking i mean she didn't really mean it yeah and uh, the dentists were freaking out. And uh, she's like, please, can I have a copy of this x-ray? And they said, yes. And she found out the dentist prior had also x-rayed this because uh, she followed, you know, followed through and did some research. So he was 14 when this first appeared. And they went back later and it was still there. She ended up sending me these x-rays. Uh, because she was on a long search to find out what this could possibly be. And there was no explanation other than an alien implant. And so, um, so I sent this x-ray off to an a emergency room physician and a general doctor. And both said the same thing. This is not natural. This is metallic and did the patient shoot himself in the mouth with a BB gun. Yeah. Uh, and, and I said, no. And if you look at it, it's bigger than a BB. I mean, if that were a BB gun, it would have shattered his mouth. Yeah. There's just no way that this is possible. The way it's lodged there under the tooth, there's no way. So uh, I asked her, I'm like, do you, have you seen a UFO? And she said, no, I haven't. I'm like, well, what about your son? She said, no, he hasn't. And I'm, well, that's odd because almost always there's a UFO history. Yeah. Uh, when some, and I kept questioning her and she said she did have some weird alien dreams, which did point towards the possibility. And uh, I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? You know, she kept denying it. And finally, and what I said, were those uh, weird dreams? Uh, she dreamt that she saw her son uh, submerged in this kind of tank. Okay. And he had big, big, dark eyes and he was breathing the liquid and, and he didn't look normal. And I'm like, hmm, well, this sounds very much like some of the, uh, you know, hybrid baby type things that we hear yeah. about. And the son apparently had an interest in, you know, human Nordic looking ETs. But I'm, I finally said, you know, this isn't making sense to me. Ask your son again if he's ever seen a UFO. And he didn't want to talk to me directly. He's quite shy, but he was in the room and our, she, she pulled the phone away from her ear and says, honey, you know, he's asking if you've ever seen a UFO again. You haven't, right? And he's like, well, mom, I have. She's like, what? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? She, she, he said, I didn't want to scare you, mom. And she, she said, what did you see? 
and I heard him in the background describing. Okay. Uh, he, he's so you saw this at, live. <laughs> yeah, it turned out that right before this all went down, he had been hiking, walking outside his home with his friend at night, and uh, they saw these strange cluster of lights overhead, white lights, and they came swooping down and started flashing at them, different colors, very low. And this was that red flag. I'm like, well, this is super low. They felt like it was watching them. It was reacting to them. So I suspect there was something more going on here because this is when this, you know, alleged implant appeared. And as I, you know, this was a case that was ongoing, which I was tracking as it was happening. And she started to have recall of grays coming in her past. Uh, and one day she calls me up and she says, they came last night. And I'm like, who came? She says, the Grays, the Grays. Her son, who has trouble sleeping, like many contactees, mm -hmm. uh, had come to sleep uh, in her room. And that's when the Grays showed up. So how did she know to call them Grays? Did she kind of get, um, had well, she been hearing about it? Yeah, she had done some research into this. Okay, yeah. And uh, so she was familiar with, you know, the gray phenotype, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, well, she saw them, she, she woke up and there was two of these short figures sort of leaning over her son, doing something to him. She couldn't move. She looked by the door. There was one standing by the door um, that had the light on in the hallway. So she could see it pretty clearly. She said it came up to the doorknob. So this is, you know, three, maybe four feet tall. And she gave the typical description and she closed her eyes and looked at it again. And it started telling her, everything's fine. You don't need to worry. Everything's going to be okay. Your son is fine. You're fine. There's no need to fear. Everything's going to be just fine. There's no need to worry. She said he must have said it about 50 times because you know she was out of her mind trying to figure out what was going on. She needed to know one way or the other whether this was related to the UFO phenomena or not. And uh, at some point she fell asleep, woke up the next morning. She's like, honey, they came. And he's like, what do you mean, mom? And she says, grays, the gray aliens came. And he said, for you? And she's like, no, honey, for you. They, they were doing something to you. And he's like, oh, wow. I wonder if my implant's still there. And uh, they had a dental appointment scheduled for two weeks later and went back to the dentist. Sure enough, it's still there. And uh, yeah, he's a really interesting kid, by the way. He's super psychic. Because I asked about this. This is a pattern I've seen okay. quite a bit. Have you kept in touch? Yep. Yep. We're still in touch now. Cool. Yeah. Um, they prefer to live a very, you know, <laughs> quiet life they're not going public with this um she did speak briefly on the radio once but uh, she's anonymous and uh they don't really want to make ufos a big part of their life this is something that a lot of experiencers are like once they know they're like okay <laughs> I, I have to live with this i don't want to make this something that i focus on others of course it becomes a huge part of their life mm. uh, but uh it's a very interesting case with with pretty much conclusive proof of what I would call, you know, alien intervention. Yeah.
And uh, yeah, he's super psychic. And this is a pattern I, that I see quite a bit. Contactees are often have a wide variety of paranormal events. And following contact, or even before, will experience everything from out-of-body experiences, precognition, clairvoyance, past life recall, uh, the ability to, to hands-on healing, Mm-hmm. channeling you know, give psychic readings mediumship and this is without any real training or anything just sort of just happens is that the case yep and i've come to conclude that this is an et agenda mm-hmm. they've you know i think we've got a pretty good handle on the et agenda as researchers because if you look at the research of you know john mack or barbara lamb those are you know, some of my favorite researchers they've come to the same conclusions it's a major ET agenda to wake people up, uh, I guess, spiritually or psychically. Yeah. Uh, Eases in. That, <laughs> absolutely. Um, healing is also a major part of the ET agenda. Yeah. When I came into this field, I was horrified. I'm like, oh, this is not good. This can't be good. People are being kidnapped against their will. And taken on board these bug-like aliens are experimenting on them they have no feelings what is going on here this is horrible and then i started to really take a step back and look at these cases objectively and not through the lens of fear because there's a lot of fear-based thinking surrounding mm-hmm. this subject a and lot quite of deliberately fear. as well with the movies exactly i yeah. think there's really an agenda by this what i would call the secret government Mm-hmm. that put forth an alien threat narrative which i bought into and it's absolutely not justified i'm not going to say people don't have trauma involved with this because they do people are very frightened initially of contact but i always ask them what happened to you you know what exactly happened They're like well i was examined I'm like oh okay and uh you know very early i got cases of healing one lady described how she had a cyst in her fallopian tubes. And uh, she's going to the doctor and the day before surgery, she says ETs came to her room. And she thought that was odd and went to the doctor for surgery and they did the pre-imaging. And they come into the room with the, you know, the images and says, well, what's going on here? You had surgery. And she's like, what are you talking about? No, I didn't. She's kind of knowing at this point, yeah. like, uh-oh. And they're like, well, your cyst is gone. And in fact, we know you had surgery because there's fluid here in your fallopian tube. It's only present if a person has had surgery. What are these laser scars on your abdomen? You're lying to us. Where did you have surgery? And she played dumb. She's like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, well, your cyst is gone and we don't know how to explain this. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was my first healing case. And that was very early on. I'm like, huh, this is interesting because... But it must be quite odd, maybe, to wonder why she was picked for this and not someone else. Do you, could you think about any specific reason or is it just? do you think it was just completely random? Initially, I thought it was random. I honestly did, but it became very clear at one point, and this was absolutely confirmed by other researchers, that this is something that tracks families generationally Mm -hmm. uh, quite far back Uh, so there seems to be perhaps an interest in a family genetic lines that seems to be a factor here if you're being taken on board 
chances are if you have kids it's gonna happen to them mm -hmm. if you you know your parents your grandparents aunts uncles somewhere down the family line that's an absolute pattern but i started yeah. looking for other patterns because there were one-offs certainly where people would be driving along the highway late at night and just appeared to be easy pickings <laughs> uh so i started looking deeply into patterns uh, one of of course people have a history of psychic events or you know perhaps a near-death experience or something along those lines that did seem to be a pattern it's evenly divided between men and women mm -hmm. it was every you know ancestry yeah um you know black people white latino asian you name it i've been i've interviewed people of all different races it's not religion it's not blood type there's you know quite a furor about rh negative yeah which does turn up in a higher proportion among the abductee population but no people of all blood types are being contacted mm -hmm. and uh so I, you mentioned near-death experiences though and that does seem to be a high proportion as well right so yeah i found found that very interesting but it wasn't hard and fast you know yeah. A lot of people have had this experience have never had a near-death experience. Uh, so I did find a pattern, but it took me years to find it. And it's not a super, you know, it's a loose pattern, I guess is what I would call it. But it kept turning up and I'm like, wow, I better start asking this question of everybody who's had this experience, which is what is your job? What do you do for a living? Yeah. You know, what's your passion in life? Because I kept running across social workers i'm like that's interesting <laughs> why is that why would that be i remember mm -hmm. i talked to a lady from norway she's like yeah they can't i don't i'm like do you have any history of encounters she had described grays coming into her bedroom and flipping her around like a rag doll she said it was terrifying and they pressed something up against her back energy pulsed through her and they filed you know right through the wall and were gone She's like, no, I've met no history. I had I did have one sighting with a huge group of people. It was way, way up there, the star-like light darting across the sky. But that's it. I'm like, huh, what do you do for a living? She says, Well, I'm an artist, a graphic artist. I'm actually retired. Uh, but please don't use my name because I'm actually very active in my uh community, my country, and quite well known for you know doing human rights work and animal rights. And that's when I, that, that sort of rang a bell for me because I'm like, wow, that's like the third social worker in a row. And I started to, caring capacity, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so I started looking back at my files and started asking that question. And an enormous number of doctors, artists, musicians, teachers, uh, human rights activists, animal rights, environmentalists, uh, like Michael... Carter, Reverend Michael Carter, one guy I interviewed, great guy, uh, had been healed of a blood clot. And uh, turned out he was very active uh, fighting racism and was, in fact, so active and so effective in his work against racism that he was commended by President Clinton personally. I mean, award winning. Mm -hmm. So, this is a pattern I, I see. They ETs are contacting people wake who are helping humanity in some capacity, waking them up, helping them, healing them. 
uh, guiding them, teaching them, because they are the ones who are the movers and shakers. Now, those are the ones who are really trying to uplift humanity. Yeah, definitely. Would you say there was a, a pattern at all in terms of location of events in terms of near military bases or something like that? Yeah, yeah, this is another loose pattern. Uh, but I will say people are taken anywhere. Uh, you know, I've got cases of people taken out of hotel rooms, out of the Marriott Hotel in Woodland Hills, <laughs> very densely populated, you know, the sixth yeah. floor, <laughs> yeah. or out of, you know, crowded condominium complexes, or most are suburbs, which is sort of natural, co considering this is where most of the people are. But I started, I did look into it geographically speaking. And uh, what I found was, if you live in a well-known hotspot, like say Sedona, Arizona, or the Hudson Valley area in New York, or the San Luis Valley in Colorado. These are all super active areas for some reason. Mm -hmm. And your chances of you know, being taken on board are far greater than say the average area. Or uh, yeah, military bases sometimes. I wonder about my labs with some of those military abductions. Yeah. Because I think some of that goes on. But honestly, there's an enormous number of cases of people dri <laughs> driving down a highway late at night and they're scooped up. Uh, so I think, you know, that is something to be aware of. Uh, this sort of easy pickings yeah. phenomena. <laughs> Have you done any invest investigations that are around the kind of, is it Utah area where Skinwalker Ranch? and all that uh yeah i do have some cases one guy uh has had abduction experiences and i asked him he comes from i think it's called three forks uh which is right alongside you know that skinwalker area the whole Wintaw mm -hmm. basin is super active yeah uh, frank okay. salisbury <laughs> wrote a book on that you know the utah ufo display mm -hmm. so uh yeah there's certain areas I would say pretty much every general location, you know, let's like let's say a state, every state has its hotspot. Mm -hmm. I remember, Do you think it's connected uh, to ley lines at all? Sort of the ley lines of the earth, or is it more? Yeah, possibly. Okay. Possibly. Um, because people talk about magnetic vortexes and areas of high sort of electromagnetic activity. Mm -hmm. Uh I think this is something that's pretty hard to scientifically verify there hasn't been a whole lot of really good you know objective scientific research into that particular aspect mm -hmm. uh, but i suspect that that is absolutely true because i've certainly heard that about the topanga canyon area sedona of course a uh, gulf breeze people talked about that being a vortex area uh, so i suspect there are different reasons pattern I did notice is that a lot of these areas which are UFO hotspots are sort of small towns right next to a large city center which I found kind of interesting okay it's not, it's not that's, always the case that's but, bizarre yeah. and uh, so gonna rack your brains now what do you think your most the, the weirdest UFO experience you've investigated <laughs> <laughs> um yeah some are incredibly bizarre uh I mean all of them have bizarre aspects and it's really interesting to me boy the weirdest that's that's a tough question a couple do come to mind i mean i remember one lady who has a, a little girl 
I mean, she had a, a life, people who have, you know, these experiences often have a lifetime of them. And this was certainly true for this housewife from Nebraska who contacted me because she saw something that she had never heard anybody ever describe. And she searched and searched. She finally contacted me hoping that I could, you know, corroborate her story. I had to tell her, no, I've never heard anyone describe what you saw. And it's somewhat of a long story, but I'll touch on some of the weirder aspects. As a little little girl, she had these ETs come to her uh, home. She was five years old, and they were didn't look like ETs. She says they looked like three foot tall teddy bears. <laughs> and she eventually realized that these were typical grays, because this was what we would call a screen memory. And often people will describe like clowns okay. or, or maybe Barbie dolls or superheroes or owls or never had I heard teddy bears, yeah, cowboys. Uh, I mean, you name it, uh, Muppets. <laughs> I've heard that a few times. People are like, I have had these horrible Muppet nightmares. <laughs> I've heard that before. Yeah. Uh, so she described these teddy bears. That was kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, she had a. But I imagine teddy bears look- can be quite scary looking as well as cuddly so do you know which one it was <laughs> um yeah i think well i mean it didn't scare her so much she was just a little girl okay and she, and she liked teddy bears but they did have these sort of odd staring button eyes yeah <laughs> right yeah but uh, she ended up having a number of experiences throughout the years and uh had three kids had just had a baby and was really sick with some sort of hypoglycemia glycemia type illness losing weight, uh, fainting after she ate or before she ate. The doctors could not diagnose it, and she was quite ill. And walking across her living room one evening, when she, suddenly she was not in her living room anymore, she, was, she felt like it was, she was taken to what appeared to be an underground chamber. Mm-hmm. And she said it was huge, bigger than a gymnasium. Uh, it had, again, indirect lighting, a rounded ceiling, but it had, uh, what do you call them? Not cubby holes, like in, the, in an office where they have uh, dividers. Okay, yeah. There, there's a name for it. Uh, yeah. But she was laying out on a table. Cubicle. Cubicle, that's the word I'm looking for, yeah. yeah. Uh, she was in this cubicle, and there were hundreds of them, and she was lying on this medical table, a steel metal table, she looks out at the floor. It looks like it has industrial carpeting. She looks across the corridor, this little hallway, and there's another man also lying on a table. He's wearing a plaid shirt. He's got brown hair. She's very disoriented, somewhat dazed and sedated. And so is he. And they're awake, but they're kind of like out of it and trying to get their bearings. And she starts talking to him. She's like, where are we? He says, I don't know. She's she says, what's your name? He says, my name is Cooper. That's his real name. I, I don't use her real name. She wanted to be anonymous. I call her Jill. And so they're trying to orient themselves. And she peers outside the corridor and she sees this figure walking towards her. And there were other people around him, but she focused on him because he was not human. She said he must have been at least nine feet tall. Well, yeah. And uh, came striding towards her with a lot of purpose, you know, very intentionally, and came right into her cubicle. 
and was wearing this sort of black shiny tight fitting jumpsuit which sort of outlined his very muscular torso and uh had a cape on was wearing a cape which does turn up in these cases and looking up at his face her face his face was not normal while it was roughly humanoid the eyes were much too large and for you know a normal person the chet the chin rather was a uh, jutting and quite long mm -hmm. and uh, his forehead was far too large and he didn't have hair but what she described is more like straw <laughs> the color of wheat okay. um, sticking straight up two three inches not human and he turns to her and said it's your turn jill and that sent her over the edge and she started screaming and uh, in terror she thought he was going to kill her she just had a very strong fear reaction and he wraps her up in what she thought was his cape and starts placing these bell-like instruments, these silver bells, like over her pancreas, over her kidneys, on various parts of her torso. And they start pulsing this energy into her body, which was very strong and uncomfortable. And that caused her to, I mean, the fear, I think, is what actually caused her to pass out. Mm -hmm. And she woke up back in her living room, standing up hyperventilating, freaking out, ran up to her husband and tried to wake him up. He would not wake up. Uh, this is what we would call, you know, this happens a lot, a psychic sleep, perhaps. They will knock people out who, who's ever around, you know, someone being taken. And that was true in her case. Her children wouldn't wake up. You know, it took her 20 minutes to wake her family up. She described what happened. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Maybe it was a dream. She's like, no, I was awake. You know, I was walking. I was awake. Yeah. This was not a dream. And her body was really sore. Mm -hmm. And the next day it was, it was sore for a week or two. And that, you know, the next day she's putting her, next evening, she's putting her son to bed. And he's like, mommy, I went to the moon last night on a ship. <laughs> she's like, what? She got a cold chill. She's like, Wow. He's pointing to the moon. Went, went to moon on ship. Went to moon on ship. And that freaked her out a little bit. Yeah. But the good news was she realized this like a day or two afterwards. She started, was feeling much better. She wasn't getting all dizzy and fainting and having vertigo. And in fact, she didn't faint once. She, didn't lose, she was losing consciousness three, four, five times a day. Okay. Yeah. And after this incident, she wasn't. And she's like, Preston, I think they healed me. Why would they heal me? And I asked her, I'm like, well, you know, what do you do? She's like, I'm a housewife. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, what does your husband do? He's a, he's a mechanic. I'm like, okay. Sometimes they'll be like, oh, he's in naval intelligence or something, Yeah. which turns up more often than perhaps it should. Uh, so I couldn't find any reason why she was be healed. And I had to tell her, no, I've never heard anyone describe a nine foot tall, huge chinned, you know, broad shouldered, high forehead alien with orange straw like hair. I just haven't. Mm -hmm. Usually it's grays or yeah. praying mantis or straight up human looking tall whites. tall whites, little yeah. blue beings, short little humanoids. Uh, there's yeah there's a very a catch-all category of just strange humanoids mm -hmm. and uh 
her case fell into that. That was a strange case, but there are a lot of strange cases. I mean, one lady, I, I loved her. Uh, I call her Sherry. Uh, she's now passed away. But she was a, first a real estate agent and then a psychologist. So a professional, you know, a really lucid and intelligent witness with a history of encounters. Would wake up as a little girl, her pajamas were on inside out. There'd be sticks and leaves in her bed. She woke up outside once and this UFO was chasing her and struck her with a beam of light and sucked her up inside. But she said her weirdest encounter was as a young woman, she was on a motorcycle driving through the Wachang Mountains, I think they're called in New Jersey, late at night on a mountain road, which was very remote. And no cars likely to be passing through this area when she uh, skidded out on her motorcycle. And she was fine, but her motorcycle wasn't. It was an old-fashioned Kickstarter. And the Kickstarter was bent in such a way that she couldn't start her motorcycle. And so she was in a bad situation. She's like, what am I going to do? You know, I'm stranded here. It's quite cold. This is bad. And she didn't see a UFO, but these figures appeared and uh, started approaching her. And she said they looked largely human, except they weren't because they were bald. They were very, very pale white, had huge dark eyes. Uh, she says that she wasn't sure they were even wearing clothes, but maybe what appeared to be tan jumpsuits, but super tight fitting and never said a word to her. They just sort of motioned her to step back. And this is so weird. Yeah. They, they picked up her motorcycle and one's kind of looking at her and the other is looking at the motorcycle and he crouches down and doesn't have anything in his hands, but grabs the Kickstarter, you know, this metal bar at the base yeah. of the bike and starts grabbing it with his hands and straightens it out with his bare hands. Right. Okay. Uh, and she's looking at this going, oh, wow, what is going on? She says it was a little bit scary, uh, but at first she wasn't, but became more and more scary. She realized like, this is actually happening. I'm awake. These guys aren't human. They're right next to me. I mean, she's 10 feet away. Uh, and then they stepped back to the side of the road, you know, you know put the bicycle up on its kickstand and motioned her to step forward onto the bike, which she did. And she instantly starts it and rooms to life. And she took one quick look at them and took off something she now regrets. She wished she would have stayed and said, you know, thank you. And who are you? And yeah, but she said at that point, she was just too afraid. But yeah, they fixed, they rescued her. Yeah. Very strange. It is. And again, seems very random. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very um, and, and another reason why I started to sort of come around is to like, hmm, because I'm not getting any accounts of what I would call outright torture or what I would call sadistic behavior or ETs intentionally trying to hurt people. Because mm -hmm. people will tell me, oh, I didn't like this. This was a very negative experience for me. I'm like, what did they do to you? They said, well, they examined me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that says nobody likes going to the doctor, especially if, you know, it's an alien. <laughs> uh, and you know, they took me against my will and I didn't want ask for this. I'm like, okay, but what did they do to you? Well, nothing. I'm like, okay, why do you feel this is so negative? 
because it scared me. It scared me really bad. And, you know, they weren't communicating. I'm like, well, did you try to communicate with them? Well, no, I was screaming. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Because what I found is people don't have a strong fear response. Uh, they are treated quite differently. And they often do not have, you know, their memories suppressed. They're not paralyzed. And will, in fact, be allowed to explore the ship. Yeah. And this is not unusual. I mean, I'm telling you, this is... Uh, happens in a good percentage of the cases of people who are taken on board after they're physically examined they're basically talked to yeah. and like how's your life going you know it's this sort of thing and uh, we'll be shown the engine room or we'll be taken like would you like to see the observation deck over and over again people describe this where they go on to this room and the entire craft turns transparent and there's stars everywhere there's Earth off in the distance, or the moon right close up, or Saturn. I've got four or yeah. five, six cases of people taken to see Saturn. It's mm -hmm. crazy. It is, totally. And Grant Cameron, actually, he talks about how he's got many that have said they've managed to actually fly the UFO. Yes, that's another thing I was going to say. They're taken to the control room, the mm -hmm. helm, and... So this is how we fly it. You know, it's usually along the lines of electromagnetism. Yeah. And some sort of psychic rapport to the craft itself. Yeah. It's not like, do you drive an automatic or manual, is it? It's, it's yeah. a bit more sophisticated than that. Some people do have a simple joystick. <laughs> um, one guy, uh, Jay Gardner uh, from West Virginia. I love this man. He had a series of encounters throughout his life. But as a little boy, he was invited on board. There were human-looking ETs. They said, here, you want to fly it? You know, they took him to Saturn and then took him back to Earth. I'm like, would you like to fly it? And he sat in the seat and there was a little joystick. And he presses it and this craft goes zoom right into the ground <laughs> and through the ground itself. Okay. Uh, which is something they can do and has been described many times. But mm -hmm. fr freaked poor Jay out, who was, you know, I think it was 11, <laughs> 13. Okay. And, and they just kind of laughed. This is a human-looking ET speaking out loud, verbally. So there's this and, concept of US, so that they can go, some, that they're submersible, but you're saying that they're not just submersible in water, but also in the land. Is that right? Yep. And, and that was initially something I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around. I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard it, and I've read it now many, many times. I remember my first case vividly. A guy was, Ronnie Barron was his name was driving with his friends in a van through Fresno, Central Valley here in Southern, or well, Central California. And they saw what they thought was a 747 coming in for a crash landing alongside the highway. Two big, big, bright white lights. And as it got closer, they realized, well, this is not a plane. This is something with you know two bright lights on it. And it zoomed into the ground. And he said, it's almost as if the ground opened up. And uh, it disappeared into the ground. So yeah, this is something I've heard from witnesses that I've interviewed personally. Uh, but people have talked about how it like, moves through the forest, through the trees. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, like avoiding the trees. Like, no, no, it actually moved through the trees itself. I'm like, wow. Yeah. I've even yeah. heard people describe how a craft will come 
into their house to pick them up, sort of merge into their house and pull them on board interdimensionally, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, so they have that ability to, I mean, we see this with ETs moving through the wall. They have the ability to render solid objects permeable with a beam of light or some sort of device. So how has your views on this phenomena changed over the years as you've been investigating? Uh, it's changed in a number of ways. I first thought that this was very rare for anyone to have an encounter. I, I now feel like it's probably a lot more common. Uh, many of the people I've interviewed, well, a good port, I won't say many, but certainly a good portion of them feel like the, the contact experience is universal and that perhaps everyone on our planet has some level of contact. Mm -hmm. And some people swear up and down that this is true. Some of the contactees, I am not so sure it's that many, but it's absolutely far more than the general public realizes. Uh, when I heard, you know, Jalen Haddock yeah. said one in 40, I didn't have to ask 40 people. Yeah. So we're looking at probably, you know, million, hundreds of millions, if not, you know, billions of people not everybody so yeah that, that's one thing that's really changed uh initially i thought this was not good for humanity that this was that these are invaders who are experimenting on us and do not have our best interests in mind i do not believe that to be the case i find no evidence that they are here to hurt us or take over at any point or anything like that and again, I'm not going to say they're all our space brothers and this is, you know, hunky dory and yeah, you know, because people do have some real trauma with this. And there are people who have flat out negative experiences, but those are few and far between. And for many, it's a mixed bag because it starts out quite traumatic. But if you face it, if you get over your fear, this is when you start getting to the good stuff. You start remembering what's actually happening to you. So yeah, I've come to shift almost 180 degrees in my viewpoint towards this that i think this is great news for us and it's clear to me that they are very concerned about our warlike ways this is the number one message beyond you know don't be afraid we won't hurt you if anyone talks to the ets for any length of time the messages are incredibly consistent and it's extreme concern about our use of nuclear materials weapons and power in any capacity uh, real concern about our warlike ways, the greed and corruption that's choking our society, uh, pollution. Uh, they're very, very concerned that we are destroying our planet and ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and we'll give people dietary advice all the time. <laughs> like stop eating fatty foods. You know, you're, yeah. you're damaging your health. Stop smoking. Why are you smoking marijuana? This is not the life we had planned for you. They told one guy. Um, <laughs> do you think the mess that we've got here is, is quite unique? Or do you think they, they, there's lots of worlds out there that are in a similar spot? Uh, I couldn't. I would only be speculating. Yeah. I, um, but I do suspect that that is probably the case. Uh, because there are some indications of that from contactees. But the, I don't know. It's very, very hard to say but I do feel like this is good news for us. And I initially thought this was historically unprecedented. And I still think that to some degree, because 
we really don't have the high degree of contact that we're having now in any period in recorded history. But if you look at you know ancient aliens and sort of the manuscripts from ancient India, the Vinyanas, or you know, the Egyptian culture with the hieroglyphs, all the way through history, the Middle Ages, there's wood carvings. I mean, Romans talked about UFOs, they called them flying shields. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is something that has been around forever. Mm -hmm. So that was something that was kind of an interesting sort of surprise to me. I sort of suspected it. Uh, but the research, I think the more we look into it is confirming that. It's like the, the Do is it the Dogon tribe that Newton knows about Sirius B and C before um, we did, <laughs> or was in the Western world did. Yeah, and the astronomical correlations with the pyramids are undeniable. I mean, yeah. the Pyramid of Giza, it's uh, that latitude longitude is the speed of light. It's the same number. Mm -hmm. Look it up. You know, yeah. don't believe me. Look it up. I was shocked when I heard that. So whoever built that did that in that location on purpose. It's next level intelligence was whatever's going on to build those. I mean, that could not be coincidence. Yeah. It's just mind blowing when you think about like, hmm, how did that happen? I mean, I'm not saying it's aliens that built it, but whoever did it knew what the speed of light was and how would they know that if you're quote a primitive culture. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think there's quite a few surprises uh, in store. I think we're moving towards open official contact. Another thing that really puzzled me about this whole phenomenon and still does is they're all human, humanoid. <laughs> we're not seeing, you know, the blob aliens or, mm -hmm. you know, aliens like, you know, Sigourney Weaver. And, um, <laughs> no, but we do get, oh. um, is it mantis beings and insectoid seems to come up a lot, which yeah. that must be the most bizarre to visit. Yeah, that's curious to me. I'm like, really praying mantis, you know, because there are so many different insects, you know, yeah. and what we don't see are, you know, nine foot tall ladybugs mm -hmm. or, <laughs> you know, bumblebees or, but people talk about cat-like ETs, dog-like, yeah. uh, many different animals do seem to come up occasionally. But it doesn't take much when you think about the size of the universe and the number of stars out there to think that there could be everything could have got to the point yeah. of, you know, intelligence. They're almost always, you know, two <laughs> arms, two legs, a head, eyes, almost always they're humanoid. Okay, so yeah. There appears to be a template there. And I suspect that there's a real genetic heritage that we all share to some degree and that mm -hmm. the humanoid form is universal and that perhaps you know even grays while they might seem very different looking are not so different uh and i started to realize this uh over a number of different ways because a number of contactees i've interviewed and i've certainly read about this the people are told the grays tell them we looked like you at one point we had a human appearance we looked just like you okay um but we've you know genetically been damaged by radiation from space travel or genetically changed by intervention or cloning at all um yeah well i'm not so sure that it's directly cloning but yeah that does come up hmm. not as much as i initially thought because i don't really have a whole lot of cases of what i would call direct cloning though there are cases where people have 
you know, I think it's more genetic uh, harvesting, so to speak, uh, where they are interbreeding and sharing genetics to help reinvigorate their own. Uh, and because they've lost the ability to, re well, I'm talking about the grays here, lost the ability to reproduce. But we have human looking ETs. They look just like us, perhaps a little stronger, you know, often described as being very genetically perfect, not just white, because people say, oh, they're Nordics, you know, this is racist. I'm like, well, no, hold on a second. Mm. That's just not true. You know, I talked to a guy, a Native American. He had an encounter with a human looking ET. I'm like, well, what did this gentleman look like? He said, well, this object landed on the road in front of him, a door opened, and out came this very handsome-looking man. He had very dark hair, very dark eyes, dark skin. He looked of Middle Eastern ancestry, was wearing a blue jumpsuit, silver boots, very kind, had a great smile on his face. Uh, and I talked to another guy who had an encounter with human-looking ETs. He said, they looked Mesoamerican to me. They were you know, about five feet tall sort of dark Latino skin and short hair. They look very much alike. That we do hear quite a bit. When people see these human looking ETs, they will describe them as looking like brothers or sisters or twins, mm -hmm. but very good looking, very muscular, usually six, six and a half feet tall, but not always. Yeah. There's a wide variety there. You wonder if they are, if that's their natural form or if they're managing to somehow look that way to suit our needs yeah sometimes i think so but i think when someone sees grays that's what they are yeah and, and praying mantis and for that matter human looking though there are mm -hmm. accounts of people who like will see a human looking figure and it turns into a gray mm -hmm. or you know all manners of what we would call screen memories but the fact is these accounts are so incredibly consistent mm -hmm that it becomes clear at some point that this, you know, if it talks like a duck, walks like a duck, looks like, it's, I think what we're seeing is absolutely should be taken at face value in most of these cases. And there are some people who say, oh, this is not aliens at all. This is a phenomenon that wears different masks. This is a phenomenon that, you know, is very dependent on your own belief system. And I don't subscribe to that theory. Okay. Uh, for a number of reasons. I, it's very anthropocentric. It's pretty much putting us at the center of the universe and saying, well, everything that we see is you know, based on our own belief system. Mm, that has never turned out to be true, historically speaking. We aren't the center of the universe. And also, I think it's very much assuming, <laughs> uh, that, I'm not gonna say everything that's place under the ufo umbrella belongs there but the evidence is overwhelming that these are metallic vehicles mm -hmm. i mean they give off radiation readings they are making landing traces you know they're denting the ground they're, these are heavy heavy objects that will press down the soil so we know they're thousands of pounds these are objects that appear on radar uh, these are objects that have apparently crashed. You know, it's not just Roswell. There are well over several hundred reported UFO crash retrieval incidents. Yeah. <laughs> so 
all bets are off if we actually have these craft in the bodies. We know what these are. They're extraterrestrials. Mm -hmm. They are people like us, more like us than different. It's not some weird intelligence that's you know, manifesting as Bigfoot or a ghost or a near-death experience or mm. a fairy or you know, all these different things, a religious apparition. Do you subscribe no. at all to the, uh, the theory of these crashes being more about gifting than natural random crashes? Um, no, I don't. And, I, and this is a great area that's wide open for research because we're still at the point now where we're largely speculating because all the evidence we have for UFO crash retrievals is based almost exclusively on eyewitness testimony from whistleblowers. Uh, mm -hmm. Not entirely. I mean, there are people who claim to have you know, bits of metal here and there. Uh, but uh, we're really dealing with you know, testimony at this point. So it's very hard to say what is going on here. And uh, there are cases where you know, people will see a, a UFO that's crashed and they go back to the site and it's not there anymore. It's scooped up and not necessarily by government personnel. Uh, I don't think we have any really good evidence to say that this stuff is gifted to us, other than you know some people uh, believe this to be the case, simply on the assumption that ETs have the ability to take something back if they want. And why aren't they? You know, if they can abduct anyone anywhere, if they can render whole neighborhoods unconscious while they take you know so someone, or they have super advanced abilities, why are they leaving these crashed? craft it doesn't make a whole lot of sense you think sometimes though that they are as you said at the start that they're on a there's an agenda here that's about waking us up getting us to the point where we become able to communicate with them and part of that is that they can't directly say here you go but they have to kind of somehow leave it in a way and make us discover it so we discover it for ourselves in a kind of a process sort of put together the jigsaw slowly but surely yeah, I think there's probably something to that. You know, I'm putting out a new book shortly uh, involving a lady by the name of Dolly, who's a fully conscious contactee. And I have to tell you, she's the most extensive experiences. She has the most extensive experiences of anyone I've ever interviewed or really even read about. And she says flat out, no, these UFO crashes are not gifted in any capacity but that the ETs feel like when something like this happens, it's the nature of the universe, it was supposed to happen and they're not going to intervene if, some, if they've, the craft has already been scooped up uh, because they respect our autonomy and our free will and they're not going to cause huge waves or huge upsets uh, trying to retrieve a craft that has already been scooped up. Uh, this is, you know, her experience. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I do know that UFO crashes are far more common than people realize. Yeah. And I think that's you know, people are like, how can they crash? You know, aren't these guys yeah. advanced? Exactly. Yeah, that's sort of crossed my mind as well. You know, you're saying they can, they can go through water. They can go through walls. Yeah. I uh, asked Dolly about this because I wondered, and she's like, well. You, you understand how these craft operate, right? I'm like, well, along electromagnetic lines, they follow our gravitational lines from our planet. It's like, exactly. And these are very volatile. And it's like riding waves. So it 
accidents happen. And I think another reason is because it's far more active out there than people realize. <laughs> there are people seeing a UFO right now, for sure. And the reason I say that is because if you look at the you know, databases of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, or NUFORC, National UFO Reporting Center, or any you know, database out there, sure. they receive multiple reports daily, 10, 20 daily. And I know from personal experience that maybe one in 50 people uh, will report their sighting to a database. Most don't. One in a hundred, really. Almost nobody reports their sightings. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's a little bit better now, but uh, I always ask that question. People are like, no, I mean, who am I going to call? Yeah. Uh, so we can take that number of you know, 10, 20 reported daily and times it by 10 easily or 100. Yeah. So that, that would be what, 1,000, 10,000 daily? This is an ongoing phenomenon. There are far more UFOs out there than people realize. We are being visited on a very large scale basis. And, and it seems bizarre how long and how still people you'll talk to and they, they think you're crazy still. <laughs> you know, how yeah. the stigma is, I mean, it's, it's, the stigma is fading, but. Well, there's a reason uh, for that. There's a yeah. very, a very concerted, very well-organized, ruthless, well-funded cover-up. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is no joke. This is not speculation sure. by any means. It's proven. We know this. It's been going on for at least 80 years or longer. This is our tax dollars at work. We are in a terrible situation where our own Governments even have been co-opted by a secret government, which is holding this technology, withholding this technology, withholding information, and has a black budget and is spending an enormous amount of time, energy, and money to make UFO witnesses look like idiots, liars, drug users, yeah. um, complete fools. When they absolutely know 100% this is real, it's completely disingenuous, totally unfair, absolutely untenable. It can't go on. The cover-up is a complete disaster. I know that was the craziest thing when I was getting into the topic, just seeing how, how big the cover-up was. I mean, it, if you get one or two and they're covered up, you think, well, that's a big thing. But then when you hear the number of stories there are and how, how extensive this is, it's, it's huge. But do you ever think about the secrecy, the secrecy side of things and wonder if it's not just uh, nefarious human activity that's the, the secrecy's um, caused by, but it's also an agreement to a certain extent with the ET races that they are allowing this secrecy to happen. They must be, in a way, because we're not ready. They, we're potentially a threat if we become galactic or have ability to you know <laughs> go readily out of our of out of earth and we're war as you say warfaring as you said earlier and a threat yeah it's my understanding that we have been basically <laughs> confined to our earth or our solar system at least and are not allowed to you know venture on and i think this is one of the driving forces behind the lack of open official contact and this is what contactees have been told. 
It's your warlike ways. It's your prejudices. It's your inability to uh, put forth a government that is truthful and transparent. Mm -hmm. it's, it's our own fault that our governments are lying to us because uh, it's up to us to solve our own problems. They're not going to come down and do everything for us. You know, it's up to us to solve our own problems. They're giving us yeah. autonomy and free will. And I think they know better than to just, you know, land on a large scale basis because there's a good portion of our population that isn't ready. We have people who are profoundly religious, profoundly skeptical, profoundly narrow-minded, uh, profoundly fearful. And if an event like that were to happen, it's gonna upset the apple cart. Mm. There are going to be some people who are going to go out of their minds. Mm -hmm. And the good news is I think we're almost at the point where like, so what? Yeah, some people will. It's going to be a small proportion. We've dealt with this ET presence now for, uh, I mean, we're looking at almost 100 years at this point. Uh, so I think pretty much everyone on Earth knows what a UFO is. Uh, everyone has heard the term, you know, grays. People are very, very familiar. This has saturated our culture. We are at the point now where we are very close to ready for open official contact. But I still think we it's this cover-up that's, you know, mm -hmm. really a problem in our warlike ways, and the violence, and the greed, yeah. and the racism, the divisiveness. I don't want to digress too much into the current Ukraine conflict, but I think if we can show ourselves not proceeding to a huge war there, that will hopefully uh, show that we're ready to, to move to the next step. Exactly. I think that's the single greatest obstacle to open official contact is our warlike ways. Mm -hmm. And once we can come together to some degree, at least, there's always been a war on this planet. It's just never stopped. It's, yeah. it's absurd that we have companies who are selling you know, weapons to both sides and promoting wars. Like, what are you doing? Our crazy. own governments do not have our best interests in mind. This has got to stop. It's time for everyone on earth to say enough is enough. You know, there are, people feel like, oh, the one percenters are running the world. I, I feel like the greatest force on our planet is humanity itself, the public every living person on this planet. When an idea's time has come, nothing can stop it. You can't yeah. hide the sky. There's no yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and we're at that point now where I think there's gonna be a real sea change, a real yeah. paradigm shift. People are tired of living in poverty and having to work for a living just to survive. There's enough food for everybody. We don't need to live this way. Yeah. For sure. So do you have a very positive outlook looking forward? Do you see this as the great awakening, the movement to the Aquarian age, the kind of the, the point where humanity progresses to the next level? Or do you have a bit of trepidation? Uh, I flip flop a little bit. Overall, I'm a pretty optimistic guy. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I do feel like this is good news. Uh, but I will say that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the ET message is a little bit gloom and doom. Uh, like you guys are really in for it if you do not improve. And that concerns mm -hmm. me uh, because I do feel like there's a distinct possibility of an existential crisis and large loss of life if we do not shape up and stop polluting our planet yeah. and moving forth with such violence and opposition. 
So I worry about that. But ultimately, I think this is great news for humanity. We're not alone. Uh, there are people who watch over us who are intervening uh, very much behind the scenes. But mm -hmm. I would point to the Malmstrom incident in 1967, yeah. which I was able to interview a first-hand witness, by the way, uh, who was there. And this mm -hmm. is, you know, if you don't know this incident, it involves numerous objects which hovered over this nuclear missile site and shut down the intercontinental nuclear-tipped ballistic missiles. Is that the and one that involved Robert Salas, or was that a separate one? Exactly. Okay, yep. yeah. He was the initial whistleblower. There are now several, mm -hmm. including the guy I interviewed, and uh, they shut them down. This is a clear message mm -hmm. that they will intervene. And I've talked to some contactees who've been told that, oh, yeah, we've intervened here, there, there. You know, this your Earth would have been destroyed if not for us intervening <laughs> on a yeah. number of occasions. Yeah, one day we're going to find out how many times we were close to a complete wipeout. And, and it is miraculous how, given the number of nukes that have been created since, you know, the Second World War, yet, you know, we haven't had a nuclear attack that's, you know, since Hiroshima, I guess, right? Yeah. Obviously not that I know of anyway. We have been throwing them at the sky, haven't we? And Oh, was it Operation yep. High Jump and was it or Fishbowl? I think I can't remember, but yeah, we have been yep. sort of launching them randomly up in the sky and probably killing a few birds and things, but we haven't wiped out half of humanity through them, which is kind of miraculous given the tensions, the Cold War, and all the all the history that's been been having uh, what we've had. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, humans are so much more hostile than ETs. <laughs> um, ETs are not something we have to be afraid of. They are trying to help us as near as I can tell. That's my assessment. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty optimistic about the outcome of all this. I think mm -hmm. what's going to eventually happen is this cover-up is just going to collapse under its own weight. Mm -hmm. uh, it simply cannot be covered up. Uh, ETs are showing themselves randomly and intentionally to small, you know, individually, couples, small groups of people. Uh, there's a phenomenon of schoolyard UFO encounters. I end up writing a book on this. They are showing themselves to children at schoolyards all across the planet and have been since 1950, yearly, multiple cases every year to you know, large groups of children. It's a very clever way of announcing their presence. They're slowly getting us used to it. So as this cover-up collapses and as you know, the awareness of the ET presence grows, uh, I think we're closer and closer to open official contact. Yeah. I feel like it's probably going to be in our generation. I sure hope so. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think in the next decade, I, I feel that way. But I'm maybe maybe optimistic. It is down to us. I think if uh, people listening, you know, myself included, we, we need to email our representatives, MPs, or congressmen, or whatever it is, and say, you know, this is what I'm hearing. These are the UFO reports that I've heard about. Why aren't? Why isn't this being discussed? Why is there this secrecy going on? And to push, push our elected members to to do what they can to change the yeah. situation. Yeah, it's amazing to hear senators and representatives and presidents talking about this. But ultimately, I want to see the Roswell craft <laughs> until it's in a museum, and we can go up there and touch it. For me, that's the sort of end game to the dissolution of the cover up. <laughs>
until they can actually let us touch the darn craft and look at the alien bodies there's going to be you know people who are like just don't believe it you know the show me attitude yeah uh you know unless you can see it and touch it with your own eyes uh people are going to be like i don't believe this you know it's just stories yeah. uh, the proof is in the public arena by the way it's not just stories we have implant removal cases there are thousands of landing trace cases hundreds upon hundreds of you know very well documented physiological effects healings and injuries uh the photographic evidence is stunning there's a lot of fakes out there but um some incredibly well verified you know the turkey footage of some years ago has never been debunked and you can see the little ets walking around yeah <laughs> it's great great footage well, to be honest, uh, when people do try and debunk these things, they almost sound like they, they sound the crazy ones now when, they, when there are crazy explanations. I think the tide is turning. Yeah. I think I think what's happening is now is rather than debunking it, they're just staying silent. <laughs> yeah. Goodbye, debunkers. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost not a phenomenon anymore. They do look foolish. I agree uh, because the evidence is so overwhelming mm -hmm. uh, that we still have skeptics. That's one thing. I can understand that. The problem with skeptics is they don't do their homework. They, mm -hmm. they think there's no evidence for this. There is. Look at the Transon Provence landing in France. You know, look at the Hudson Valley UFO wave. Look into the Phoenix Lights. Look at the Mexico City wave. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no. the, the best ones, I think, sometimes are the earlier ones where there's lit, there was no opportunity to to fake the footage and CGI. Things like the 1952 incident in Washington and you know right caught on radar by the way yeah, yeah. Or, you know, the, the mariana footage in montana or the rex heflin photographs in santa ana california uh or the mcminnville oregon for photographs yeah. or the fatima uh, yeah 30,000 40,000 people <laughs> how many witnesses do you need exactly i know it's 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 getting there slowly but surely and it's exciting and I feel blessed to be able to talk to people like yourself and be able to really dive into the subject and uh, be part of this crazy time in history. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, of, amazing. it's amazing. One of these days we're going to have, you know, ETs appear on The View or, you know, on 60 Minutes and grant yeah. an interview. I know. Uh, and that's what, that would be so awesome. And there's no reason why that can't happen. Yeah. Uh, and uh, once... I think people come to the awareness that we are not alone. It's going to be a real big change in how people think about each other because we are all one. We are all yeah. here on this planet. We share a very close relationship to each other. Uh, and I don't think that racism is really as big as an issue as it's made out in the media. People, once you get to know them, love each other, <laughs> regardless of, you know, yeah. skin color or political affiliation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's my view as well. I feel there was more goading of racism than actual genuine racism going on. But let's, let's not divulge too much onto that side of things. The, I wonder if you um, have any thoughts around why the Nimitz Tic Tac incident that, you know, 2004 that was that came out in 2017 and seems to be a, a real moment of growth in, in, this, in the topic, certainly from, from my perspective. Why do you think that one has gained so much attention above all others? Uh, yeah, here we're dealing with base, 
what are essentially you know leaks whistleblower accounts with proof coming from highly credible witnesses and i think it's reached a saturation point is i think what happened that uh our own governments or whoever's covering this up the secret governments whatever term you want to use the military industrial complex yeah uh are dealing with a very sticky situation at this point and to deny this footage would make them look foolish and not credible mm -hmm. i don't think that the, you know all these statements the pentagon is putting forth is something they're doing necessarily willingly for our own good something they're doing to retain control over people's perception of this subject um i feel like they're doing it you know dra dragging their feet kicking and screaming and they have to take steps towards disclosure because if they don't they're going to be disbelieved they will lose all credibility people mm -hmm. will go elsewhere we're at that point we almost don't need our own governments to sell say this is real uh disclosure is happening it's happened well it, it's broader than ufos i think in terms of all the nefarious activity that's been going on and been kept up not not just you know all the black yeah. object black projects and yeah but all, all but, the wars and things but you know when 60 minutes did a, a segment on this i'm like wow look at this 60 minutes is actually finally covering the ufo subject seriously and mm -hmm. interviewing pilots who said oh this is something we see daily I'm mm -hmm. like yeah i knew it i knew it they're seeing this daily we don't hear 99 percent of what's going on in upper levels of the military and they're sort of interfacing with the extraterrestrials they know what this is mm -hmm. you know that recent uh six page disclosure where they talked about 144 sightings and yeah. said well one's a balloon uh, we think some of this could be possibly Chinese or Russian. We don't have any direct evidence. It's technology. It could maybe possibly might be <clears throat> extraterrestrial. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can tell it almost hurt them to say it. Yeah. Uh, but it was a lie. They know what this is. They know, no, no, no. They've known since Roswell. They've known since the Battle of LA. They've known since, you know, for a long, long time. They know what this is. They've got the hardware. Well, they've got yeah. the craft. They've got the bodies. But as you're saying, say, it's got, it goes back decades. Oh, sorry, it goes back to Roman times and be up before that as well, really. I mean, there has been some element of knowing. Yeah. And don't tell me this is an interdimensional phenomena that is, you know, putting implants in people or, mm -hmm. you know, hovering over our nuclear missile sites and shutting them down. No. <laughs> This is these are ETs in the classic sense. I think that's the explanation which best fits the evidence. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, perhaps we are dealing with interdimensional entities and paranormal aspects, and a lot of stuff is being put under the UFO umbrella that doesn't really belong there. But if you look at the behavior of UFOs, craft, and the ETs themselves, it's the same behavior humans have, falls yeah. under the same umbrella. They're doing what we would do. Uh, they are less hostile than we are by far. Uh, you know, we have a history of killing millions of people every <laughs> century and just wiping out large portions of population. Oh, nice. No evidence that ETs have ever done anything remotely like that. And they sure could. Mm -hmm. It's the one thing I think pretty much all UFO researchers agree on and experiencers 
that whoever these guys are, wherever they come from, whatever their origins or nature of this phenomena, they are vastly superior. They have an incredible technology. Um, they are far more powerful than we are. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I could talk. I could talk so much more, but I wonder if we could uh, close and talk about maybe some upcoming projects you have on the go, or how people can maybe find you. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited. Well, my latest book is Wondrous: Twenty Five True UFO Encounters, which has whistleblower accounts, some interesting USO encounters, onboard experiences. I'm super excited about my new book which should be coming out in a couple of months involving this one witness by the name of Dolly, who's a fully conscious contactee and who was trained how to fly the craft and has had conscious experiences since age 14. She's now in her 60s. So that's going to be the subject of my next book. Super excited about that. I do have a website. If people want to contact me, mm -hmm. just punch my name in on the internet it should take you there sure I'll, I'll add a link as well to the description yeah all right yeah i got all my books there excerpts and you can certainly contact me through my website i'm also on facebook and twitter and instagram and my books are available on amazon I've got a youtube channel i'm putting up my research for people who you know prefer to watch a, a video as opposed to reading a book uh, but this is an important subject mm -hmm. you know i know i i understand there are people out there who are skeptical but do your homework people are like well why should i care you know it doesn't affect me it does because mm -hmm. think of it this way if we actually do have this technology and i think the evidence shows that we do you know basically free energy we could solve this so-called energy crisis which is yeah manufacture you know the environmental crisis the economic yep. crisis um, this that, is going to affect everybody at some point. Every, everyone could live without having to uh, have various well diseases and things. And the, the medical healing and the technology there means that people won't have to live in suffering to the same extent that they have. Yeah, the, potentials mean, that, of, yeah. the potential here is mind-blowing when you think yeah. about it, the implications. So get ready, put on your seatbelt. I think we're going to be in for a little bit of a wild ride Yeah, because there's an extremely strong resistance to this information still you know there is still a very active ruthless cover-up but i suspect at some point it's going to completely collapse under its own weight and when it does boy it's going to be a different world so there'll be an avalanche of these experiences coming out i think yeah. <laughs> you won't you won't know where to look apart from having all these all these stories uh, the cover-up is like a dam with a million little leaks in it yeah <laughs> and it's about to completely collapse i'm going to be flooded with truth and uh, i'm looking forward to it because i am tired i've been mm -hmm. in this field for 35 years i know imagine it, it shouldn't be you know i shouldn't have to do this work I and mean, don't get me wrong i love it it's interesting but this should be taught in schools mm -hmm. This should yep. really be something people accept. It's so darn obvious that UFOs are real. If you just go outside and look at the stars, do you really think we're alone? <laughs> think this yep. through for a second. I know the Fermi paradox is, um, isn't really working out really is to explain it. That I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a great time for UFO research. It's a great time to be alive on earth. It's pretty exciting. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you very much for, for your time. I think it's been fascinating. I think we've covered so many different stories and, and, and all the experiences that you've catalogued and your own ones as well. 
that's been fantastic and I hope hopefully maybe we can talk again sometime I feel like there's so much more I could talk about yeah yeah thanks Joe I appreciate you having me on the show and uh yeah anytime definitely more to talk about USOs schoolyard UFO encounters oh man I could talk about this for just weeks on end <laughs> I'm sure I could thank you <laughs>